I kind of just looked at these big old agencies and just thought there's got to be a new way. I was getting incredibly frustrated with this idea that it's like, who's free to do the job rather than who's the right person to do the job. Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding, and you're listening to DSR Branding Presents. Join me as I interview brilliant business leaders on branding, marketing, design, and good business principles. These are people who think differently and have commercialized their creativity to do something remarkable. This episode is on redefining the role of creativity and community building with Nikki Bentley. Nikki is an executive producer who's dedicated her working life to creating world-class content and marketing for brands around the world. She's the founder of Perfect Tribe, a creative consultancy and representation agency for brands. By tapping into a global network of brilliant creative specialists, Nikki assembles the perfect team for each project. She's also the co-founder of Troop, a community designed to support the creative journey for remote working talent. In this episode, we discuss her background, starting out in production and television in South Africa, working in ad agencies in London and moving to Lisbon to start her own creative business. We touch on how the production industry has changed over the years. Nikki shares some great stories of working in live TV. Plus, we dive into how she collaborates with some of the brightest creatives around the world. It was really interesting chatting with Nikki on how to run projects remotely while still championing the creative product and connecting creatives in local cities to help them build stronger, more personal connections. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, hi, Nikki. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Well, thanks, Dan. It's good to chat to you. So we kick things off always the same way. What's your favorite brand and why? Okay, so at the risk of some tumbleweed here, <laughs> because I think um, I think uh, nobody outside of Portugal, well, very few people outside of Portugal might know this brand, but it's a brand that I love because of its kind of its authenticity and longevity. Um, it's called Bedalo Pinero. Okay, you're going to have to spell that one for me. <laughs> okay. It's based on, it's a ceramics brand. So they do amazing tableware, uh, dinner services and the like. Um, and I don't know, I think you might have, um, I think everybody's probably come across this brand one way or another. I think I remember as a little girl, my grandmother having a jug of water on the table and when I saw the brand here in Portugal, I was like, that's the jug my grandmother had on the table in South Africa all those years ago. Yeah, wow. Yeah. But it's, so it's been going for ages. Um, and I will, I'll, send you, I'll send you a link with the, with the <laughs> name. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure my Portuguese pronunciation is correct. I'm sure there are lots of Portuguese out there going, oh. But no, it's the name of the artist. So Bordalo Pinheiro was an artist, Portuguese artist, who started making ceramic like in 1880 sometimes. So the brand's been going for over 100 years. And his son, when he died, his son took over. But then his son passed away kind of like 1920s around then. And the brand has basically been, and the factory has continued making those ceramics and kind of led by the local workers from the town. There's a tiny little town kind of north of 
of Lisbon called Caldas de Reina. And that's where there's like a little factory store where it all started. And the workers kept making the ceramics and kept pushing this brand forward until obviously the crisis of 2008, they were bought out by a bigger group who now kind of um, oversee the production and marketing and, and kind of expanding the line and stuff. But I absolutely love the brand because they still remain true to their original founder, who was quite an avant-garde um, um, artist. So the, the, when I say they make um, tableware and dinner services, the dinner services, the plates are kind of like big cabbage leaves. Yeah, yeah, I've found it. I found it, and I'm looking yeah, at the website. It. Yeah, it's beautiful. Excellent. Yeah, is it, and the lo- the logo's got a like a frog. Um, a frog. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. I'm looking at their homepage, and they've got um like just amazing dinnerware with you know Personally. animals sort of embossed. Yeah, yeah, it's and really like cool. little ceramic animals climbing off the side of the plate. If you see their jug. The, like you'll have a, a water jug that is a, a rabbit and you pour the water out the rabbit's mouth. And oh, that's awesome. <laughs> the, like, <laughs> have you got some of their products? Yes, um, we do. We do. Yeah, nice. I do love them. And as I say, we, we pop up to this little village that's um, just north of Lisbon and kind of go to the factory shop there where you still got in the background people tinkering around. Obviously, they've moved bigger premises and but what I love about them is that they've kept this style since day one, you know. So whenever you see one of those plates or that style of ceramic, you know it's from the Pinero factory. That's um, cool. Even although I think with this new group, and this is always, I think, the problem. Well, not the problem. I guess it's always the challenge with brands, right, is how do you grow but kind of remain true to that founding the kind of values of the founder or the founding principle. Yeah. And for any brand, like for your business as well, our business, my business, you know, it's how you want to grow, but you kind of want to remember why you started it in the first place and not lose that. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's great. It's cool to see something new there. And um, yeah, yeah, I guess discover a new brand there. Yeah. Spread it around the world. (laughs) They're worth, and they're worth getting. If you can get the dinner set, I tell you, it's a a talking point at dinners. (laughs) For sure. So, Nikki, you've been referred to us from a previous guest, Tim Hughes. How do you know Tim? Yeah. So, Tim and I, well, I know Tim from the UK broadcast market. Um, So, Tim and I worked together in London, and we met when we both were sitting on the board of Promax, which is the uh, kind of broadcast marketing industry organization. And we sat on the board in the UK and kind of put together conferences every year. Um, And usually you kind of, you come on and you sit on for a year and the next year you step down and somebody else steps up. But for some reason, Tim and I ended up doing it for years and years because there was nobody else who was... um, can I say stupid enough to accept <laughs> the role? <laughs> yeah. So that's how, that's how he and I met. And then, yeah. So, and the rest is history as they say, right? <laughs> and, um, I, I, I can hear you've got a South African accent and, but you're yeah. based in Portugal, but, and then have been in London. Can you tell me a bit about your background and I guess moving from, I assume moving from South Africa to London and then now in Portugal? Yes. So um, I left South Africa um, 
uh, quite a few years ago, um, once I finished my studies, I studied um, graphic design at the AAA School of Advertising. So once I'd finished that, I worked in the advertising industries in Johannesburg um, and kind of got into television and broadcast and producing content for channels, um, the big channels then, like Mnet, um, which is now DSTV, uh, back in the day when they were just kind of free-to-air channels. But um, once I, I kind of worked in South Africa and then kind of wanted to look at a bigger market because the, uh, the South African broadcast market is pretty small. So I looked to London and, was, and managed to move to London, um, managed to kind of somehow pulled together a visa and kind of ended up working there and kind of working obviously in the broadcast and branding industry in London for a few years. And then I guess similarly, once I'd been in London for, I was in London for 20 years, um, kind of got a bit bit tired of the gray skies and the rain, um, <laughs> but also was kind of looking at, is there another market that I could kind of work in again? You know, for me, it was always I guess just about challenging myself and, and pushing those boundaries, right? Not trying to get too comfortable. Um, so, and at that time when I was looking to move, um, I kind of also was kind of thinking about this idea of my own agency and what would that be, um, which all sort of came together. You know, I was wanting to move and work in LA for a while. I'd spent three months um, working in LA for the, for an agency that I was working for and kind of really just fell in love with the, the idea of being in a different market and in a, in a different country. And so all of that kind of came together in what was Perfect Tribe and me leaving London, um, which then actually saw me landing here in Lisbon, uh, rather than LA. <laughs> closer, I don't know, closer to home, closer to my family, um, yeah. but with as much sunshine and on the sea. Yeah, <laughs> so, beautiful. Yeah. And so how long have you been in Lisbon for now? So it's been three years. Oh, awesome. I've been here for three years. Yeah, yeah. Traveling a lot still when I yeah. first started. There was still a lot of time in London. I was spending a lot of time in also in New York and LA and in in Madrid and South Africa. So I was still doing a lot of, of traveling around, but Lisbon was my base. And we'll dive into Perfect Tribe in more detail. But firstly, I just wanted to ask, sort of over the last 12 months, what's either been the biggest highlight or the greatest challenge? Well, I think, well, the, I think the biggest highlight was getting to spend 30 days on my own in my room with coronavirus. <laughs> oh, did you have it? When else? I did. I had it. Oh, but it was like, where else do you get the chance to actually lock yourself in your room for 30 days and not feel guilty about it? Yeah, wow. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, no, I, I had 30 days of, of kind of just time to myself, you know. And are you um, fully recovered? Yeah, absolutely. Fully recovered. Was it pretty horrible? It was pretty horrible, but to uh, the... Um, the worst part of it only was sort of a couple of weeks, mm. but we just couldn't get rid of the, I just couldn't get rid of the, um, the virus for 30 days. It took me 31 days to test negative again. Wow. So whilst I only felt sick for a very, like I would say a week of it mm. was pretty bad. Um, 
but for the rest of it, you kind of, you know, I was a bit, I was a bit tired, but you know, you're not sure if that's just because you haven't moved out of your room for a week. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah. And did you learn anything about yourself after the 30 days in isolation or did you have any sort of <laughs> epiphanies or realizations? Well, I tell you, it wasn't, I, it wasn't anything that I didn't know is that <laughs> I actually could live in a cabin on my own <laughs> quite happily. Wow. Um, so, yeah, no, so it was, um, it was just, I guess because it, it was a surreal experience because the whole, the whole world was going through a similar thing, right? So wh- whilst I felt isolated, I, I wasn't isolated because everybody was in the same boat, right? So there was this this sense of being connected, although I was was incredibly isolated. Um, and it kind of, you know, it just made me it just made me realize that we we need that connection in some way. You know, there's there that we are all globally there is a connection between us. And that I think when we see these waves that affect us in in society, in humanity, and we're all we all get carried on carried along by it. And I think something like the coronavirus, where it's been this global pandemic, has just I think given that a lot more clarity and made it more real because it was on such a global scale. But you, you know, you have those other waves that sometimes we may be not aware of, but I think we should probably be slightly more aware of and realize where we are and how we're connected to everything else that's happening in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible how quickly it sort of spread throughout the world and, and it yeah. just shows how, yeah, exactly that, how connected we are. But then it's also, I don't know, it's, yeah, I'm trying to, I guess so trying to stay connected with friends and family as much as you can throughout mm-hmm. somewhat helps. And, you know, like it. Do, I, I know in our like circles of friends, we were better at sort of, I guess, reaching out to each other and actually trying to stay connected a bit better rather than like actually making yeah. more of an effort to sort of engage with each other and, um, and reach out as opposed to just, yeah, sort of staying in your own circle. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think it did. It kind of made you realize that almost pulled you towards those people that you, you were like, okay, these people I can't actually do without, right? I mm. need these people in my life. <laughs> yeah. And um, which, which was a good eye opener. And as you say, I think, a lot of like I had a lot of conversations with friends that I probably hadn't hadn't spoken to as recently either, you know. And we've kept that now once a week. You know, we set up a once a week call, and now we've we've maintained that. So it's um it's actually it's an it kind of brought us all together in a way, right? And let's just well let's hope we can keep that going. Yeah. And Nikki, so you you started out in South Africa doing design. What made you want to get into advertising? So. I had a, actually my, it was my uncle who was a a copywriter and he, so he worked in Johannesburg as a copywriter. And when I kind of had, they came for Christmas the year before I was, you know, going to start my studies and everything. And we just got chatting and I said, oh, I'm going into design. And so, and he kind of said, well, come up to Joburg and spend some time with us and, you know, we'll take you around and and show you around and you can meet some few people. And so they took me up and introduced me to um, some, you know, producers that they knew at ad agencies. And I went on a couple of 
shoots and commercial shoots. And, and that kind of when I actually just fell in love with the more of the sort of the commercial side of the advertising rather than the design side of it. Yeah. So um, that's when I, so I finished my studies as um, doing graphic design, but whilst I was studying, I started running um, on, on shoots through a producer that I knew. So whenever they did a, they did a, a shoot for a commercial, they'd get me on as a runner. Um, and I kind of just went from there and then I started, you know, production managing those shoots and then producing them and, you know, and kind of that's how I ended up getting uh, onto the sort of producing side and kind of producing commercials and then kind of moved into producing content um, for broadcasters. That's cool. So, yeah. And was your uncle like the classic sort of copywriter of, you know, like a, you know, did he have a, a book that he was writing or like a, like, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He did. He was that classic copywriter. Yeah. He, you know, he was totally into jazz, yeah. totally into like really expensive whiskey. <laughs> so we, he was like, you'd go and you'd find him sitting just like staring out the window with this beautiful jazz playing in the background and, a, you know, whiskey in a little, <laughs> you know, crystal cut glass next yeah. to him. <laughs> and you were like, okay. A little notepad right, sits down. Absolutely. Writes a line, goes back to yeah. the window. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and then had a little break and now we had to move off the whiskeys onto the martinis <laughs> and then, <laughs> from the martinis yeah. onto the red wine. And, yeah, I yeah. know. So, and he was, he was writing a novel um, and a screenplay and um, he, uh, yeah, but he was fantastic. He was a larger than life character, both uh, in his physical presence and in his personality that's um, cool so yeah he he really was um he was a, a character and he really got me into it and, and he was fantastic and introduced me to everybody that he knew and they were you know they just kind of like scooped me up and and kind of just helped me along on my career and I, I think I found that everywhere right at every mm. at every kind of point where i either changed direction or kind of gone into another direction. There's been somebody that I, that I know who's kind of helped me in that, in that way. Like I've, I've never ever got a job from sending out a CV, you know, <laughs> in all the time that I was employed, it was yeah. always by, you know, an introduction to somebody who knew somebody and then, you know, you kind of meet and, and that was it. Like I, when I had to start sending out CVs, I was like, oh, I, I don't even think I have a CV. I don't know what that is. What is that? You know, LinkedIn. Yeah. Oh, what are, you know, yeah. just check out my LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Um, but no, so I, then I think that's the, well, it's the wonderful thing about the industry, but it's also the incredibly, um, not elitist, but exclusive thing about our, our industry and in that it excludes a lot of people, right? Mm. I think where if you if you have connections and if you know people in the industry you kind of it is all about who you know and Completely. i think therefore we're missing out there's a lot of talent out there that just can't get into the industry because they you know they don't have that connection yeah i think you're right it's sort of um and it's hard because when you do, you know, you've been a producer, like you would know the people you like to work on sets with, or you'd know the people you'd, you'd have a, you know, you'd have a group of people that you trust and you knew 
you know, what you were going to get from different creatives and things like that. So it's hard to mm. take the risk on new people. But at the same time, totally. it's, um, you're completely right. Like, it, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the old adage of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And yeah. it's so true in our industry. Mm. And how do you think the industry has changed over the years? I mean, I guess just television has changed in that time, right? So yeah. before it was just, you know, the free to air channels, then it went to digital channels and now it's kind of moved on to the streaming. So just the way people are watching has changed so much. Um, and that has such an impact for brands and advertising. Um, and also for, for content creators, right? Mm. I guess also a part of what, what's enabled that is the technology, right? So, yeah. you know, back in the day when we're, you're shooting on 35 mil and would take you how long to kind of get that process and the edit, editing process. And it was all incredibly um, specialized and uh, uh, kind of the time would take, you know, there was a time involved in getting it done. Yeah. Whereas technology has kind of, you know, now we're shooting on 8K and editing has moved to laptops, you know, that you can sit at home and cut on your laptop. You don't have to be in an edit suite. And, you know, sort of all those things have kind of made, um, well, it's forced the industry and television to move forward as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in a way it's been good because now, you know, brands have, have many more, a lot more channels and ways to connect with their audiences, right? It's easier to connect with your audience digitally in terms of the, the, the production and the technical process of it. You know, not everybody now has to, to splurge on a 60 second TV commercial. Um, you can through digital channels and social media and, you know, you can reach people if it's done well, because obviously now everybody's on those platforms. So, you know, again, there's that, there's that, that double edged sword where, okay, now we can reach audiences easier, but so can everybody else, you know? So it's, it's still, I think we still need all these specialist skills that, we've had for so long, you know, in, in the old, when you were, when you had like a, you know, somebody was, you know, the, the loader, the clapper, but, you know, all those kind of very yeah. specialist skills that we had that we've kind of done away with, um, has been a blessing and a curse, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I remember when I started our agency was based inside a big, big post-production studio and there was like a, you know, it was a huge one in Brisbane and they had, you know, an offline suite and an online suite and a color grading room and like just all the different rooms for different parts of the post-production, you know, a visual effects studio. And then nowadays it's just like, you know, one or two editors on a laptop could, you know, they're no way going to be able to deliver a similar, you know, quality of result. But at the same time, it's not to someone scrolling on Instagram or Facebook, they're not going to notice a hell of a lot of a difference. So it's just, it's just so much, I guess years ago it was, and something, you know, we probably both agree on is like the idea of being a specialist or being great at, you know, one thing or having a very good role, you know, ability in one area. But nowadays I think the production process is, you know, favors someone who can, or not favors, but the people who can do lots of different things are doing okay, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Because I think it's becoming more generalist, right? Mm. It's kind of that, I don't know, I can do, I can do that as well. And, and, and it is because it's become so much easier, you know, people are able to do it, you know, 
But but there has to be a risk to that, do you think? Mm, I do. I like to your point about, you know, if you're scrolling through Instagram, how beautiful does your um your piece your you know, your little piece of content have to be. But I um, I do still think that the when something is done well, and that's right from the beginning, from idea through execution, you know, delivery, mm. that it does really stand out. Yeah. Um, and I think that is even more important today, you know, to the point where it is so saturated. You, you are just scrolling through. I think it is incredibly important that the craft behind messaging communicating kind of reaching the the audience that you're trying to reach like getting them to stop scrolling and yeah. look at something and engage with something and remember it as well mm. is huge um and but also you know i think this has been a good move because that old sort of old school industry of well, you know, you don't get to, you know, touch the dolly until you've been a runner for 20 years or, you know, that's also kind of like, come on, dude, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. let me just push it, you know, so it's kind of like, so I also think, you know, it's been good, but I think somewhere in the middle, there still needs to be that you still, I think we still, creators, we still, need, it's about craft, it's about mm right from, you know, the idea to the execution to how you deliver it. I think all of that is still so important and that's what sets brands apart, you know, those brands yeah, that do agree. something really well. Yeah. And where did the concept for Perfect Tribe come from? Um, I guess it's, it's part of this, you know, this talking about how the industry had moved forward and how technologies moved and I kind of just looked at these big old agencies and just thought there's got to be a new way. I was getting incredibly frustrated with this idea that it's like who's free to do the job rather than who's the right person <laughs> to do the job, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I get that because, you know, you've got this, you've hired all these, uh, all these creatives and they're sitting there and you're paying them a salary. They've got to like earn their keep, right? Mm. But the, yeah, the, uh, the times when I would have to then take the work and pitch it to a client just going, what is going on here? Why is this poor dude being roped into doing this? And because it's not even like, and you can see the pain in this creative as they're trying to do it. It's not their skill set. It's not their, you know, it's not something that they are maybe passionate about or, um, but they, you, they have to do it. And you just how like I was just too embarrassed. I was my like I think my I'm like I spent a long time building a reputation, and I am not going to let you, young graphic designer who doesn't get this brief, ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> and so were you an like account director then and pitching the work? Yes. Or, what, yeah. Yeah. So I was a kind of a business manager. So I was yeah. kind of going out, I was pulling in the business and then, you know, building those relationships and then pitching the work um, back to the client. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just, it's soul destroying, you know, when you kind of, for, we, you know, work so hard and I just used to think, oh my word, I just add up all the hours I've spent laughing at some bad jokes at a bar <laughs> to get this brief. 
<laughs> I was kind of like, and now we're not even going to win it. I'm like, uh-uh, nah, uh-uh. <laughs> so, so, no, we had some pretty, yeah, some pretty scary moments of, um, like the day before, you know, walking, just about to jump on a train to go and get a pitch done and just going, there's just no way I can, I can present this, you know, and then even walking into a presentation, mm. I, yeah, I don't know if this is <laughs> something I should be saying because <laughs> I find it, I can, I'm just going all hot and I can just feel the, the pain that I felt in this pitch when we, we hadn't even got halfway the sunken through. feeling in your stomach when you know that it's yeah no, it's not right or it's not, not good, good enough it's yeah. not right or good enough but and also because i knew this client so well yeah that normally clients they kind of just you know quietly nod and hurry you through the presentation mm. this client actually stopped me and said um is this going to get any better because <laughs> it's not we might as well just stop now i mean Shit. come on like Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So that was kind of, I think at that point I realized now nah, there's got to be a different way of doing this. Um, yeah. and also I, you know, the, the overheads in the agency, and this is the thing, you know, as a, as on the business side of it, kind of going out, earning the business and kind of seeing how much business we had to pull in to sustain an agency of that size. Mm. It was just kind of, you know, the, the, the overheads are so huge. Um, and yet the industry was shrinking, you know, so yeah. because we specialize in entertainment in the media industry, we could just see, I could just see the, the funnel shrinking and yet our overheads were still massive. Um, yeah. and you know, then you read all the, you know, on Instagram, you start following these amazing digital nomads who are on laptops on the beach in Bali. And I was <laughs> like, okay, somebody's onto something here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not me sitting in this, you know, in an office trying to pull in all this business just to pay the rent. And, um, so no, so that kind of got me thinking about the shifting in the industry and also this idea of, finding the right person to do that work rather mm. than the free person. So it was about building and utilizing a network of people that I've, that I've worked with and developed over years, you know. So um, whether it was in South Africa or in Argentina or wherever they were, I wanted to kind of pull them in and get them in on the projects and kind of say, okay, this, these guys are the perfect people to do this. Cause I, you know, I think it's, I think it's a little bit like sports, right? Mm. You kind of, most kind of top athletes can play another sport, you know, like play around a golf or, you know, but if you, like, if you're Roger Federer, you play tennis, you yeah. know, <laughs> you yeah. kind of, <clears throat> so if you want to be number one at something, focus on the one thing Yeah, and, and yeah, be ready agree. for that. Um, so that was the, that was the idea behind Perfect Tribe, this kind of the, the best team for whatever that project was and yeah. for whatever the skills it needed. And I felt that it gave a little bit more flexibility as well in terms of budgets. You know, if budgets are shrinking, you don't have a team of 10 people on it. You have a team of two, you know, yeah. so it was just trying to, trying to adjust to, to our industry. 
Um, and also just trying to get to work with some people that I thought are, are actually brilliant, you know, whether they were in the agency or not. And um, that's how Perfect Tribe was born. And so when did you start it? Four years ago. Yeah, cool. And what sort of projects do you guys like working on? Um, so I guess the, the ideal project, you know, it's incredibly, it's incredibly varied. We're doing, at the moment, um, we're doing some incredible stuff with uh, channel branding. So there's oh, awesome. an Argentinian team of designers that are kind of our tribal branding specialists, super studio. Um, and they really are just kind of like killing it at the moment in terms of channel branding. Um, so we've recently just rebranded D-Max in Germany. We're working with Sony um, and they're doing a big um, – Sports brand whose name I as yet cannot mention. Yes, we yes we're not allowed to mention that name until they <laughs> until they mention it. But it'll be yeah. amazing. It's one of my love mark brands. So yeah. um, so it's super cool to be working to be working with them. So they're doing incredible channel branding stuff. Um, but I guess for me, like the perfect like what's the ideal job is like, there's so many variables, right? It's like uh, the client, the budget, the timeline, the, <laughs> the creative team, the, yeah. you know, if, when everything comes together, it's, um, it's really, you can feel it all working, you know, and those are the kind of jobs that to be honest, I love, you know, the ones that come in easy and go out easy and look great, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the ones where you oh, kind of like, it feels like you're pushing it uphill and is, uh, are the jobs that I try and, and, and avoid. And, yeah. um, I have got to a point where I've turned jobs down as well, you know, mm. where I've kind of just been a bit, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny here, but I just really don't think we're the right team for you. You know, yeah. I think that you could, you would be better doing this elsewhere. Um, and do you have a few questions that you may ask or that sort of, you know, expose those potential red flags or is it, you can just tell from talking to someone or, you know, like how do you filter out the wrong clients? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think there are a couple of, um, we make a couple of decisions based on, um, the project itself. So, you know, is this project, going to be worth doing like whether that's creatively or from a showcase piece or um you know and then also kind of what's the budget like is it a is it a good enough budget for us to do something exciting or and as we start having those conversations we kind of get to all right so why did you choose us and how many other people are you talking to mm. and if, you know, if the answer is, is if we don't like those two answers, yeah. that tends to be where we kind of go, all right, A, we've either just been called in as a, you know, as an outsider or just as a running mate or whatever you call yeah. it. Um, and, and then we also are just not into that kind of joining 25 other people to pitch, you know, yeah. it's really, you need to have, look as a client, you need to have done your homework you need to have really understood what we're about as much as we have to understand what your brand is about and what your project is about. You need to kind of understand what we're about. Um, and that, I don't know, I think as I, my mum said, uh, my mum once said to me, you know, the only man that deserves you is the man who thinks he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I 
kind of quite like that as a concept for our clients as well. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Love> <laughs> the that. only client that deserves us is the client that thinks they don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's very good. So, Nikki, give me an example of like a team that you'd assemble together. You know, like, I mean, or, you know, maybe a recent project that you'd like to talk about and then how you actually built that team around that project or around that brief. Sure. So I guess there are a number of different ways that we, that we do it. Um, so the, the branding, when we do kind of the big channel brands, um, what I do is I use a specialist team um, who are generally a smaller agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the guys in, in Argentina, they, I will bring the channel brands to them because they set up to do and manage, um, the production of that size because there's so many elements involved and it's incredibly specialist. Yeah. Um, um, they will be the team that I go to, um, for other brands, like we've recently done, well, we did, we work with Sky in the UK and we do um, content, we develop a lot of content for them, sort of branded content. And in that instance, it's kind of looking at the brief, looking at the client and kind of deciding what is needed, you know, and there's some directors that I will call in to look at the brief and give me a sense of, is it something that they would be willing to work on, ideas? And then from that directing team, we developed the director and between the director and the producer, we developed concepts that we then take to the client. Yeah. So, and with those, their teams, you know, their directors and um, producers that I tend to work with, as you said before, you know, you kind of know your people and you know the people that you want to, want to go to. Mm. Um, so over the time I've kind of developed, if it's looking at individual directors, you know, that. They're directors who are great at performance and they're directors who are great at, you know, cinematography. And so, you know, I have that sort of, those groups of directors that I will then then reach out to and with a producer, pull a team together and then we produce it that way. Um, and then, uh, you know, other smaller, smaller projects where it's kind of, you know, they where a client is maybe just looking for an edit or a design or, then I guess the team gets even smaller where I have an editor and a designer who will sit and work together and, and, and deliver a piece. So again, it's kind of like me looking at the, the network that I have and who is specialist and who is right for that particular project. Yeah. Um, and I, I work with a, a fabulous producer, Caroline, who, um, who helps me with that. So we, we kind of pull the team together depending on what that project is. And it sounds like you're maybe based maybe in Portugal for the project, but then the people you're working with are together. Is that, is that a common theme where, you know, you mentioned before you might have an editor and a designer or are you all in separate locations? No, we're generally all in separate locations. Yeah. So how do you collaborate and uh, I guess, you know, cross time zones and, you know, is it video calls? Is it messaging, emails? Like, what do you find works for sort of that creative collaboration? Yeah. So what I find is video messaging and video calls. Sorry. Mm. I think that that is a way that we can chat. You can, you know, you see each other. So it doesn't feel like you separated. 
I guess also like I'm I'm visual, so if I see people's hands or you know you see people's bodies language or yeah. and you kind of realize oh okay they didn't like that comment so much or you know yeah. well that's going great or you know so um, I think the video calls for me just just work incredibly well. And do you bring the client in on these sessions? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, it's it's really imperative that the creators have a di- direct line to the client. Yeah. Um, yeah because cool. I, like I always feel if there's a middleman, there's so much lost, right? Mm. And you end up cutting the piece five times where you could have cut it twice, you yeah. know? So, yeah, so totally. The client, for me, there's no, I never put a barrier up between the client and the creator. For me, that's the best conversation that they can have is together, get the direct feedback and then, you know, they know exactly that we're all on the same page. Um, there's no filtering that happens. That's great. And it, it removes that old sort of advertising thing where you'd be the account person, you'd be able to play both sides where you could go, oh, the client, you know, the client's an idiot to the agency team. And then you're back with the client's office saying, oh, the creatives have been so difficult and stuff like that. And you're, oh, totally. you're, you're trying to, yeah, you're trying to make it out like you're just the hero, just like bridging this gap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and also, such you know, a, it takes uh, so crazy. much time, you yeah. know, I'm kind of like, man, yeah, you are. You guys, you guys sort it out. I'm moving on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, here you guys, play nice. Yeah. You know, you're, you're hey, working yeah, out. Totally. Yeah. 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 Figure it out. Yeah. Any, if, if you're going to kill each other, call me, but otherwise just do your thing. <laughs> yeah. So is there a campaign in particular that maybe we could point to as something that you've sort of set, done over your career that really stands out? You know, I guess the the thing with TV is that it comes and goes, you know. (laughs) It's kind of, um, you know, we did some stuff when when I first launched Perfect Tribe. We did some items for the Food Network, which was the first piece of work that we'd done and it kind of won us a whole bunch of awards. So I feel really attached to those pieces because it was like the – it was almost like, okay, this could work. Mm. <laughs> not, not, not that we do the work for the awards, but there's, there was something about just that, you know, it was just beautifully crafted and beautifully done, these little sort of stock frame animation pieces that, that I worked with the team in London on, yeah. um, a great little animation team, a dog and rabbit. And um, so that for me was a, a, a really lovely piece of work that we did. But, you know, we've also we've done some kind of, massive rebrands um in the past and all over the world you know um i think the like i say the the stuff that the guys recently did um for the um dmax channel the discovery channel in in germany is good fun um they did some fun stuff there and I, I love my my producing days as well. You know, we used to produce a TV show called um, Live at Five in mm-hmm. South Africa. And we we would travel around the world kind of interviewing, well, not around the world, around Africa, sorry, um, kind of to music festivals. And because it, it was a music entertainment show aimed at sort of a youth market. Um, and I just think that's the most fun I ever had working. <laughs> you know, it was, it was no, all we had to do was put an hour of live television on every Friday at five o'clock. I mean, yeah. how difficult could it be? Right. <laughs> so we, we had loads of fun doing that and, and kind of traveled around and to 
rock festivals in, in Kenya and Ghana and all through South Africa and, and, and that was loads of fun. That'd be amazing. Was it like decent yeah. budgets to film TV at that time? Yeah, it was, you know, and we were taking, because we were obviously doing live broadcasts, so we would take a whole OB unit down there, you know, and kind yeah. of shift in, take the whole crew down and set up and do rehearsals and, you know, kind of, um, so yeah, it was, it was great fun. It was, it was great fun. Cheers. Like a, a full OB unit and a team yeah. that would just never yeah. happen nowadays would it yeah, for, for right? like an hour of tv there's no way <laughs> there was no way i mean we would all go down and you've got it and of course we're all getting put up for i don't know three nights in hotels and the team's massive you know because it was always kind of like five or six cameras and so, um, so it was, yeah, I mean, I just don't think you have that as well. And I guess that sort of live TV only happens in sport now. Or, yeah. yeah. Did you have any scary live TV moments where? <gasps> oh, too many. <laughs> what's, the, what's the worst one? <laughs> what's the one that like you wake up in the middle of the night? And still haunts you. <laughs> still, still sweating. I, thought, yeah. I can't believe I'm actually going to tell you this. Yeah. But I believe in, you know, it's being publicly shamed. I think that's the whole thing, right? If you if you address that shame, there's no shame in it. So here goes. Oh, here goes. Amazing. This is like a little therapy session. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so we were filming in, in, we were in Nairobi in Kenya and, um, we were we were doing this doing a live broadcast show from there, and it was at a live festival. So we were kind of fitting in with the festival and filming some of the bits of the festival, and then our presenters were coming on stage and they were going to do an introduction to the live show. And then the the our live was kind of people at the festival, you know, some of the the bands, gigs, and stuff, and so. And we also had managed to uh, manage a massive scoop. We got this huge celebrity DJ to fly in from Ghana, and he had a massive following all across Africa. So he was going to come on stage and kind of do a link back to his studio in Ghana, and obviously we were going to reach all of his millions of, of followers as well. Um, and as we were going on stage, we're waiting and waiting for his, his, um, his slot or his session to come to go live on the radio station. And we're standing in the wings of the stage while my presenters are on, on stage presenting. And he says to me, oh, I think my, my battery's dying on my phone and I'm not going to be able to do my call. So of course, and I said, well, it's because you haven't turned your phone off. And I hit the, off button but his phone he'd been holding a live link to the studio that he tried for two hours to connect because you know the phone lines in Africa at that time weren't exactly fantastic and so yeah. I cut them off as he walked onto stage to do his link to his millions of viewers who he just pretended <laughs> to our audience that they were all being heard in Ghana. And in Ghana, it was just crickets because I'd cut him off. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. It's awful. It's so, so awful. <laughs> I like still to this day, I feel, I, I feel that feeling as the DJ turned to me with this look on his face saying, 
what have you done? You've just cut me off. I'm about to go live. So he was like the two-hour slot was filmed or recorded for two hours before he even got on. Is that what you mean? No. So, yeah. So he was going to do a live link. He was doing a call-in to the studio in Ghana. Yeah. So he was he was in with us in Nairobi on stage. And because he was such a well-known um, DJ, he'd come uh, to do like a – Hey, Nairobi, how's it going? Here we are, we're chatting to everybody in Ghana because he was on the stage and he was phoning in to the studio in Ghana. And, yep. um, and of course, he was, he was phoning in until I hung up the phone <laughs> ah. and as he walked onto stage. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So right. I tell you, I'd like that, that feeling of, uh, could the earth just swallow me now, please? <laughs> <laughs> and what was the fallout from it? Well, to be honest, um, at the actual festival, everybody he just pretended, the DJ just pretended that he was still on the phone to Ghana. So nobody at the festival knew. But obviously when he came off, his producer in Ghana was livid because yeah. they'd been – um, promoting this thing oh, all no. week that he was going to be calling me <laughs> from Nairobi. So, like, their radio station just had nothing. Like, they would their have had to radio just fill. station had nothing. Totally. Would, would have had just had to nothing. fill that spot. Yeah. <laughs> had to fill that spot. So, she, the producer, was just trying to talk and play while they were desperately trying to call to get them back on. Too. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, so, no. But, and that's the thing with live TV. It's, it, Come, it's gone. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's kind of, um, we had to be so careful. We'd get people calling in um, and you would vet them. So we, because it was a, a dial-in show, like people could call and ask the presenters questions or um, we would vet them. But, you know, there were times when people would get past. And, <laughs> and then what, they just say, say ridiculous things and you just have they to quickly come say couple. ridiculous things. And they would, but also they... Um, we had these two presenters and everybody for some reason just didn't like the female <laughs> presenter. Um, but, uh, and so she used to get a hard time all the time. Oh, and, that sucks. Um, it was awful for her. It really was awful for her. But, um, so yeah, we'd have to really vet it. And as soon as they got on, they'd just start slaying this poor woman off. Ugh. And then we'd have to quickly cut it. And then, I don't know, you know, just try and like, our sound man was constantly uh, on edge. Um, yeah. He was like a gibbering wreck. Um, <laughs> it was just like super caffeinated, just ready to like press absolutely. the song button or something. Yeah, absolutely. And then also there was a three second delay. So we used to have the guys back, you know, back in the transmission team as well, kind of with a finger on a mute button for an hour. Oh my <laughs> so goodness. Hopefully most of it we managed to, most of it we managed to avoid, but um, <laughs> yeah, some close calls, yeah. but yeah, nothing quite like it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that would be that would be a pretty scary moment when you've yeah. basically hang up on yeah a live broadcast in a another country. <laughs> Cut them off as he's walking on stage. So he was super famous throughout South Africa, or sorry, not South Africa, throughout Africa, or throughout Africa. Yeah, he was like he was like a famous celebrity DJ. What was his name? I can't even remember that. Do you know, I think I blanked it from my memory. <laughs> just erased just, that day. I've, yeah, <laughs> I've hung up on 
DJ, and I just couldn't finish that sentence ever. Yeah. So I just yeah. left it. Yeah. <laughs> left it to disappear in my memory. What do you find as the challenges now in the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the hardest thing right now is predicting what's going to be happening, right? I think um, we are just, everything has just been thrown up into the air and, you know, I guess, you know, the entertainment industry has been changing for a long time and is constantly in change and in flux. But so I guess we're always prepared for that change. But now when you kind of throw out this global sort of, you know, how how's the rest of the world even coping as well, um, it kind of becomes really difficult to predict what brands are going to want or, or how you know, broadcasts going to be working or how, how media brands are going to be functioning or, you know, where's that money coming from? So I think that, that is the challenge constantly is predicting and planning, you know, is to kind of try and have a pipeline mm. that, that you can kind of bank on, you know, that's kind of, and I think that's the difficult thing in our business is you get, you know, these kind of peaks and troughs, right? You get the, the jobs that come in and then that go away, and they're because they're they're very few, I guess, retained um, pieces of work for what we do, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of it is, and that is the biggest challenge is trying to find, predict what's going to be needed, and kind of look to the future and be ready for that, you know. You know, mm. Perfect Tribe was about remote working. Now everybody's remote working. So what's the next bit of leverage? You know, what's going to kind of take us a, a level up again, you know? So it's, um, it's those things that are most challenging, but also the most fun because yeah. um, I guess that was a, some great advice that uh, um, one of my mentors, um, a, a lady who founded the Million Dollar Women's Summit said to me, it's so important to work on the business and not in the business, you know, yeah, because you, yeah, you get so caught up in the day to day and delivering this and this client's upset or this client's happy, but kind of you, you've got to step back and look at that big picture about the overall business and, and where that's going, which is the stuff I enjoy, to be honest, yeah, um, but yeah. it's also the challenging stuff. Don't you think it's amazing that we as sort of strategists, you spend so much time on your clients' businesses thinking about their strategy and planning big picture stuff and then you sometimes neglect to, you know, look after your own. I don't know if, if you Absolutely. face a similar challenge. I mean, it's something that we're getting better at in our business is actually spending more time on our business. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's just amazing to think like yeah. we, I guess – yeah, you need to sort of practice what you preach sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But that, and that is always the, you know, we've always said that because you, you are looking outwards so much, you know, that you, you kind of do neglect that uh, yours, you know, mm. it's kind of like, so yeah. Now, what did they say is the cobbler's son is always barefoot or something? Yeah, yeah. We've got is one here. The, the, the painter's house is never painted. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, a similar thing. Do you, yeah. do you now schedule time or set time aside to, to sort of work on Perfect Tribe? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that is – also this is, I find, incredibly challenging, right, is that time management. <laughs> it's mm. like – how much time do you allocate to, because, you know, I find that I can be sitting 
and just you can just keep sitting and going into late at night, right? Because yeah. you, if you're not getting distracted, or if you once you you know the family are asleep and you go back to your laptop, you can just be there endlessly, and that's the time when I find I work on perfect tribe. Mm. Like during the day, I'm kind of like you. I I find my time is more about that sort of you know, catching up with the emails, catching up with the, with the creatives, kind of checking in with the clients, you know, doing that kind of new business drive. Um, and then you kind of get that all done in, in so-called working hours. And yeah. then it's kind of when, you know, you get back to it, like after dinner with a glass of wine, <laughs> yeah. suddenly it's two o'clock in the morning and you're like, oh, okay, probably need to get some sleep today. <laughs> and are there any exercises or any things that maybe our listeners could try in their own businesses that you'd, you'd recommend? So I don't, you know, the thing that I find, and it's taken me a long time to find that is to, to realize when you're most productive. Mm. So for me, like I, I am a night person. Like I yeah. enjoy being out and, and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. But that's not when I have my best ideas or when I, you know, I actually find that in the morning is when I'm clearest on strategy, but I can go late into the night. So it's, it's taken me a long time mm. to realize that even although I'm a night person and I, I have entered boundless energy and can keep going in the evenings, the, the kind of when I'm most productive at that strategic thinking um, and kind of getting results is, is the mornings. So I always, like I have a habit, I will get up. Um, I always do like some form of exercise. Not, I'm not a marathon runner by any chance, but like I will do some Pilates or some yoga or some meditation. And then I journal uh, yeah. first thing in the morning. Um, and then after that is when I then spend an hour, two hours doing the, the work that is most important to me. And yep. that's usually on perfect tribe, like figuring out what that is, how that works. And then, so I'm only kind of jumping onto emails and getting back to people around 10 in the morning, mm. you know? Um, yeah, that's so, cool. I like that. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I don't, I'm always like a meeting before 10 a.m. Are you crazy? Who does that? You know, I'm in my yeah. own bubble still. <laughs> yeah. And when chatting with clients, how do you go about explaining the value of the work that you guys do to potential clients? Kind of say, do you want Roger Federer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, so I kind of, um, it is really about, for me, the value is about understanding the client's need and having a network that can really fulfill that need, but really the, that specific need, you know, mm. it's not generalist. It's really kind of understanding what that, what is going to be best for the client. And yeah. then through this network of amazing talent, we then kind of can work and deliver that. How do you find some of that talent? Is it just people that you've met over your career or do you, are there way, like other platforms that you use to find them? So a lot of them are people that I've met for sure that over the years I've kind of met or I've seen work that I've really loved and kind of reached out. 
Um, and then when I, when I kind of reach out, I use, um, I use different platforms. So I think I like, I find Vimeo really interesting because I find it's kind of quite fresh and can be sometimes quite raw, you know, I, I, and mm. that's what I like about it is you get a real sense of, um, that kind of, I don't want to say grassroots because there's a lot of talent on Vimeo, but there's something yeah. that, like for me, I find Behance a little bit too slick. You know, I kind yeah. of find it a little bit too, like this is the storefront. Whereas yeah. when I'm on for me, I feel like I'm in the warehouse, you know, <laughs> and that's what I like because yeah. that's where you get to, I find the real talent. Um, but also a lot of network, word of mouth, you know, so yeah. who do you know that's a brilliant, you know, cinematographer or who do you know that's a, brilliant 2D design, you know, so it's, it's really tapping into that network. And, um, mm. I find that with the relationships that I like to build in my network, the network is very generous, you know, they open up and people want to help and want to share and put you in touch with, with other people. And, um, and I, you know, I, I like that as a, as a philosophy, um, which is, uh, I guess, why we started Troop, you know, which is this this concept of creatives all being together and being connected and sharing. You know, it's 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 an environment where you kind of support each other in your creative journey, rather than that kind of fighting your way past everyone. And how did you set that up, or who did you set that up with? So Troop, I set up with my, um, I have a business partner who's also my sister. Um, That's cool. So we, and she works in the, in the art world. So she, she uh, has an art gallery and obviously I work sort of in the entertainment side of it. So we came together and kind of said, look, how, because both of us are kind of travel. We both work remotely. So when I landed in Lisbon, I was like, okay, so now where's my network? You know, where's my troop? Where, where are the people that, you know, I can sit and talk about design in Lisbon or talk about Bordalo Pinero with or, you know. And um, yeah. so we, we built this, uh, we created this platform troop that is designed for wherever creatives travel in the world, whatever city you land in, you have other troopers in that city. So you can That's cool. hit them up. And you can be like, okay, do you want to grab a coffee? Or I just need some tips on, you know, where's the best, I don't know, art shop. Where's the best <laughs> museum? What should yeah. I do? I've got 24 hours in your city. What should I do? What inspires you? You know, it's all that sort of, um, it's that, it comes with that ethos about being connected to creatives in every city that you travel to so that um, it makes your creative journey easier and more supportive. That's awesome. Have you launched it globally now? We have launched it. We've started, um, we've launched it with um, founder troopers. So we, we've been inviting members uh, to join the platform to kind of form the foundation. Um, because for us, it's also very important that the, the creators that come are also are the, are the kind of people who will share. You know, it only works if when somebody lands in Lisbon and says, hey, I'm in Lisbon, who can give me tips? 
a creative in Lisbon says, oh, I can, you know, otherwise it falls flat. Yeah. So we, um, we <laughs> yeah. built, we, <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Crickets again. <laughs> so, I feel like I'm back in yeah. Nairobi. And, uh, yeah, so, um, <laughs> So we, so and also we kind of, we hosting, part of it is hosted events. So we've been hosting events in Madrid. We're going to be hosting before, obviously, the lockdown happened. We were doing yeah. in-person events in Madrid and we're going to be doing some in-person events in Lisbon. And we've kind of done some online events uh, during the lockdown, but it, the, the events are really curated, intimate dinners around creativity. So it's small groups coming together to really connect with other creatives and form those bonds. Um, and through that, we've kind of slowly built the, the, the online platform. Um, and then, yeah, so now we're going to be rolling it out and getting more, more people on globally. Um, so for, because for us, of course, it's about that global reach and it's across every yeah. creative field as well so you know designers motion graphic designers artists photographers interiors you know just from every musicians every creative field we want the want people to come together on this that's platform. cool yeah well, so people um, to check yeah. it out you know yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, put creative, I'll put the links in i'll put the links in and uh <laughs> yeah i'll encourage creatives to get on that <laughs> that's really cool and what would be a dream project for you that is very difficult. That's, you know, that is a, a really difficult one to answer because I think that, again, there's so, for me, there's so many aspects that need to, to come together, you know, to kind of create, to create something amazing that mm. I think for me, like for me, a dream project is where I can, can pull different creatives, different um, disciplines together into um, it, almost into a collaboration that kind of produces something really exciting. So yeah. for me, it's more about um, rather than kind of saying, oh, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to do a campaign for Netflix or, you know, mm. I really, you know, I love Virgin or, you know, it's kind of for me, it's more about where can I give the creatives this opportunity to really explore something new and different, you know, which yeah. creatives can I put in a space together that creates something quite special and quite, and, and quite beautiful. And then which brands are going to be open to that, right? It's kind of like yeah, who's, that's cool. who's open to doing something a little bit different. So I almost kind of, it's almost like chicken and egg. It's almost like yeah. these creatives can create something beautiful. Um, is there a brand that I think would really benefit from this? Can I take this out and then, you know, kind of pitch it to, to a specific brand who would be, you know, who that this idea suits their values or, you know, their ethos mm. or something like that. That's cool. It sounds like you could, um, yeah, I guess really inspire the clients with that level of creativity, earn their trust and then get them to buy into the concept or create a project for it. You know, it's almost like yeah. they see yeah. they see what the creatives are capable of and they're like, shit, we just yes. have to create something that um that they can make for us. 
<laughs> yes. Or like, let's just do a campaign so we can, you know, do some amazing sort of stop motion or, or 2D animation or something just ridiculous that, you know, <laughs> we haven't seen before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, it, you know, you kind of, um, a lot of the times the clients that, that I'm pitching to are creative directors as well, you know, so they, there's a, you know, there's a bonus to that in that they, they get it quite quickly and then they open to kind of pushing it and exploring it. Mm. Um, but I guess on the, on the flip side, they're, they're creatives, (laughs) probably a little bit more, um, you know, maybe more critical, a little bit more involved as well. But I think, again, it's about finding those relationships that work and, and kind of pushing those relationships through. And how do you switch off from work? You mentioned before you're known to go back to the computer with a glass of wine and, and yeah. s- stay working till you know, one or two in the morning. But um, yeah. I mean, hopefully yeah. that's not every night. I mean, how do you, no. yeah, what do you do to switch off? <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, I find, and especially here uh, where I am in Lisbon, I walk and I find that that's, you know, once I get out and I'm on the sea or on the river, I can really switch off as I just walk around. And I love that kind of feeling of just looking at the space around me and hearing the ocean or just seeing the, the clouds. Or I mean, Lisbon has got some beautiful architecture some, and obviously being on the water, I love kind of living on the water. And so that's how I kind of do it. I like, I find getting out and walking really clears my mind and kind of yeah, puts it cool. all, gets it all away. Or just I've got a good old group of girlfriends who who are are the best thing to distract you, right? <laughs> because you kind of they're not all of them are, are in the industry either, you know. And, and a lot of yeah. girlfriends that I've known from when I was at school, and you know, so they kind of great just to connect with because it's just a total, you know, people who know you so well they don't let you get away with any bullshit, right? They kind of just call you out straight <laughs> yeah. away. They're like, come yeah. on, who are you talking yeah. to? We know you. Yeah. <laughs> Let it go. Yeah. It's important to have those people around who are just take no bullshit people. You know, my family are like yeah. that too. And I've got friends who are like that. And for me, that's so important just to keep me on the straight and just, you know, just be who you are, you know. Don't be a doist, as we say in South Africa. <laughs> well, I don't be a what, sorry? Um, don't be a doist. What does that um, mean? It's an Afrikaans word. Um, that's probably it's probably better if I don't say the English okay. word. But okay. <laughs> no worries. But it's basically yeah. Don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> and how? Speak, speaking of family, how do you find yeah. it working with your sister? Um, it's up and down. To be honest, it's great. I mean, she we fantastic in that we we're very similar. So we complement each other in a lot of ways and we have very similar ideas and also, but we're quite different in the sense that she is very, uh, well, she's a lot more considered, you know, mm. so for her, she will, she'll want to tweak something for weeks until it's perfect. Whereas I'm a little bit more gung ho and I'm a little bit, no, no, let's just get it out there, you know? Yeah. So we kind of, 
which is good because we kind of, I guess, meet in the middle on that. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I'm not just launching all sorts of crap and she's not spending five years designing something that should take five minutes, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we do pull each other closer to that. But then I guess it's, it's again, it's quite difficult to leave that work behind, right? Because there's always something, if we're sitting having dinner, you know, then we can, then we suddenly say, oh yeah, I had this conversation and then you suddenly back and work, right? Mm. With the rest of the family. So we yeah. kind of have to be very strict about, um, you know, let's not, we're not going to talk work at dinner. This is family time. Let's, you know, yeah. talk to the kids and you'd rather do that. And then yeah. we kind of, you know, let's make a time to talk business. Otherwise, again, you just, you, you just never stop talking, right? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And do you have any favorite books that we should know about? Yeah, I have. I mean, I'm a massive fan of the coffee table book. <laughs> I know that's not incredibly intellectual, but I love the, and for me, the Magnum, you know, the Magnum photography books for me are, are yeah. just so inspirational because I guess in my next life, I'm going to be a photojournalist. Um, <laughs> but I do, I love the, just seeing photographs, um, of that just document time, that document history, that document society, that document humanity, you know, yeah. because I'm, I just, I love the sort of stark wake up it gives you, you know, because you can live in such a bubble and think, oh, you know, life's so great, you know, I'm doing so fantastically, you know, I'm so happy, uh, but and, you know, we're all connected, as I said before, we're all connected to a, a, a bigger world. And I love that photography, you know, that photojournalism that can just actually just, yeah, totally just gut punch you and say, hold on, come back. To, this is what's happening somewhere else, you know. Mm. Um, so I love the coffee table book. I'm a big fan of that. But I'm also read a lot. I've probably got like, three books going at once, you know, um, and it's yeah. because I, I've, I kind of do a lot of business books. So I'm reading something at the moment called the art of gathering by Priya Parker. And this is, a, it's all about how we meet and why that matters, you know? Um, and I think this oh, that's, is, that's really such, interesting. Yeah. It's such an important, such, and I'm just, I'm loving it. I wish I'd read this book like, 15 years ago, because the number of meetings that I've had at an agency that I've sat in going, well, that's just wasted an hour of my time and an hour of 10 other people's mm. time. So that's actually 11 hours we've just wasted in this meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what is the purpose of this meeting? Like if you don't, and you keep asking yourself, why, 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 why? Because I think a lot of the times we you have a meeting because you think you need to have a meeting, right? You kind of can yeah. think, oh, we need to touch base. Let's, let's have a meeting rather than, okay, this is what I, I'm throwing a meeting because I, I want to know how this brief's coming on or, and a lot of the stuff you can just sort with a quick call or an email or, you know what I mean? So, mm. so yeah, it's kind of really making me rethink the meeting, but also like dinner parties, right? Like, Mm. If you throw a dinner party, um, like, what's the purpose? You know, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you want to connect with your friends and you want to, but if you want that event to be memorable for the people that attend your dinner party, it's kind of like reframe it. What's going to make them really remember that gathering? 
Um, and mm-hmm. I guess it's also really insightful for me with troop hosting these troop gatherings, as we call them, where the, these meetups where we get creatives together. It's really kind of making me think about what is the purpose? You know, what's going to make people turn up? What's going to make people share what's going to make people open up and be honest and brave and courageous in this space and in this time that we have together. And when they leave, what are they going to feel? What are they going to think? You know, so it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's a really, I would recommend it. I was telling my guys, we were away actually last week doing a strategy retreat in Noosa, oh, uh, which is really nice. nice. Yeah, nice. I mean, unfortunately, I've got two designers, so it's it's quite um easy to do these sort of things where you can take the team away. But um, yeah. we were talking about workshops and meetings, and I, I got some mm-hmm. great advice earlier on in my career, and it was always leave a meeting on a high and don't, you know, say you're doing a workshop with a client, don't try to go back into the detail at the very end of a meeting. You know how sometimes it's yeah. very tempting, you know, they might ask a question, oh, what are the next steps or something like that? And you go, oh, and yeah. you dive into solving that. And then that person leaves with all this information in their head yeah. and they should just be yeah. like walking out feeling like, oh, that was great. I don't have to do anything now. Whereas you, yeah. you sort of bombard them and they go back into work mode. So we were talking about how to end meetings properly without, you know, diving back into the detail and, and inundated people with, you know, here's what I need you to do as soon as you step out of here, send me these things, that sort of thing. So it's, yeah. um, I'm really interested. I'm going to check out that book because that's really cool. It is really cool. And you're so right because it's that how people feel is what they're going to remember, right? I mean, and this is, this is always even, you know, doing what we do, like when you're creating something, when we're trying to convince people or influence people through the creative, whether it's a campaign, it's a design, it's an ad, it's a poster, like if you leave them feeling something, they're going to remember that rather Mm. than if you tell them something. And I think that was what Maya Angelou said as well, didn't she? She said, um, people will always forget what you tell them, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah, I love that quote. It, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, I mean, you think, about, totally. you think about like if you've been at a wedding or if you've been at anywhere and, you know, can you remember the exact words of the groomsman's speech? Maybe not. But you can remember, you know, laughing hysterically and, and sort of, you know, the feeling or the moment of that time. It's not, you know, you don't, you don't be able to exactly quote everything they said but definitely how you felt from it you know and i do i love that your theory about the meeting as well because if you're spending all this time the last thing you want is for people to leave feeling Ugh, you're like i don't know now there's just more work or that didn't achieve yeah. anything or you know yeah. you want them to leave thinking hey i'll go to the next meeting <laughs> yeah 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 you make their life easier not not like oh shit there's another thing i've got to think about yeah yeah no it's hard and it's hard to put into practice what's you've got to remind yourself to do it because you can catch yourself out diving back into solving the problem or or addressing that but um i really value that piece of advice i got because um i've tried to try to do it as much as i can (laughs) Um, that's great and so nikki thank you for being so generous with your time i had a great time but uh we finish up with just a few closing questions so who's someone remarkable in the creative industries that you know that we should speak to so this one, we have already been speaking about her, and I know she's my sister, but LaDonna Bentley is remarkable. And um, it's not just because she's my sister and she's my business partner on Troop. Um, the reason I say she is remarkable is that she 
Um, she used to work as a creative director in ad agencies when she lived in London. Um, she's been living in Madrid and she's become an art curator and works with artists. Um, and she has developed um, this brand called The Space Next Door, which is this, it's, it is an actual space, it's a gallery, but it's also more this concept that art is a living, breathing thing that lives with you. So the number of times, you know, you go to a gallery and you look at a piece of art on a white wall in a, with nothing else in the room, um, and that's never how that art is going to live in your home. Mm. So she has this concept that, that art fills a space. It's part of your life. It's part of your work. It's part of your home. And it is therefore part of your life. Um, so the space next door is a gallery that's actually an apartment um, where artists, there's a bedroom where artists can come and stay. There's a big dining room table where we have dinners and there's art on the wall that you can look at. But it's it's a living, breathing space. And um, she's created awesome. this as part of her curation of, of art. So she is remarkable. That's awesome. We'd love to chat to her. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. Good. Yeah. And you've actually given me some brilliant quotes and advice in this, but do you have anything else? Do you have another favorite quote or the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, I think that something that really sticks with me is, and it's been said to me twice by two different people, um, <laughs> but this must be good. <laughs> and at different times, at different, different stages and in different contexts, right? But basically, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So, for me, I love that quote because you can get so distracted about where you aren't rather mm. than where you are, you know, because we, I think it's natural to look when you, you know, if you're running a business in, okay, this I've got here and you're three and here and, you know, you're kind of looking at that all the time rather than kind of going, okay, look, it's only year two, I'm, yeah. but I'm projecting that this is in year 10, I want year two to be year 10. Well, that's not going to be. So mm. for me, this whole concept of it's a marathon, you're going to have peaks and troughs, you're going to have energy, you're going to have dips, you're going to get cramps, you're going to be spurred on by somebody running past you. Or And I, that for me, as that analogy in terms of that's the business journey for me, it's a marathon. So it's training, it's being fit, it's, and it's not going to be a short sprint. It's not done and it's over. You're in it yeah. for the long haul. I love that. And if you could have a billboard and put anything on it, what would it be or say? So I have something, I have, I actually have a vision board, which mm -hmm. is my screensaver on my, on my laptop. And this is something that I did actually quite a few years ago when I was working with one of the coaches that I was working with at the time, and she got me to do this vision board. And it's actually such a fun practice. Have you, have you done a vision board? I've had sort of themes and I've had, you know, like words that I'll put in front of me and, but I haven't, no, I haven't created just a vision board in itself. It was such a, like for me, when I did it, it was such a wonderful, like such a liberating experience, right? And I, and also because I, I guess I'm a visual person, I like seeing things, even mm. if I'm planning, you know, I like to see things in blocks or whatever. 
And this is just going through and basically building a vision through clippings, words, images um, of what I wanted my life to be. And like I say, I did it a few years ago, but it still so resonates with me. Um, so I keep it on my on my laptop as a screensaver. But I think what I would love to do, if I could do have a billboard with anything, is I'd probably get a whole wall filled with that vision board. <laughs> um, you know, just a giant size wall that just kind of you know projects this life that I want. Yeah. Um, and then maybe just in the middle, just the words, "You've got this." Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> because I, I think, it. you know, you just need to know that it's good. You got it. You can do this. Just keep, you know, just yeah. keep going. Yeah. That's great. And finally, Nikki, where can people find more about you? So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Nikki Bentley at perfecttribe.com. They can read more about who I am in the About Us page and also at troop.world is the other website. Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been awesome chatting with you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been so good chatting. Sorry, I've rabbited on and taken up loads of your time. No, no, it's been awesome. Thanks, Nikki. Cheers. Thank you, Dan. Speak to you soon. Ciao. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of DSR Branding Presents. To learn more about the guest on